um, mind is Buddha. When Dame asked, what is Buddha? Matsu said, this mind is Buddha. Wu Men's comment, if you can directly grasp this meaning, then you will be wearing Buddha's robe, eating Buddha's food, speaking Buddha's words, and carrying out Buddha's practices. You will be Buddha. Even though this is the way it is, Dame has misled a lot of people based on a wrong measurement standard. One should know that just by saying the word Buddha, you should wash your mouth out for three days. If you are a genuine person upon hearing someone say that mind is Buddha, you should cover up your ears and just walk away. Stop seeking after it under the clear blue sky and broad daylight. Asking how it is that mind is Buddha is like holding on to stolen goods and claiming your innocence. Okay, so now we talk for a few minutes. If anyone wants to say anything, but if they do, what does he say happens to them? They have to wash their minds out with soap or something. <laughs> well, I had thought um, this is a really short koan, but it's very sort of direct in its way. I, all of these koans leave you no place to land, really. And um, when I think of mind, when I used to think of mind when I was younger or up until recently, I associated it with brain, you know, mind and brain, your, your brain, your mind resides in the brain somehow. And, and yet, I think the way they're talking about it here is, you know, mind is not a thing. Buddha is not a thing. None of it are things that we could pin down and say, this is what it is, solid form. Mind is, to me, um, it has no form. And it sort of seems to be made up of a constantly moving um, compilation of thoughts, emotions, feelings, beingness. And beingness is not a thing either. So, you know, it reminds me um, it reminds me of the story I heard about Suzuki Roshi when he was dying of cancer. His um, students were alarmed because um, he was beginning to show signs of pain. And he said, if you see me in pain, don't be, don't be alarmed. It is only the Buddha suffering. And that's what this koan reminded me of. There is nothing that isn't Buddha. 
it's just beingness, you know, and um, I, you know, I, I, I get, it's hard to articulate, but um, that's what this evoked for me. You know, that, that story about Suzuki Roshi, um, you know, yeah. Well, I, I had a similar thought that it wasn't just the mind. It wasn't just your mind, that that's not what he was talking about, that Buddha is who you are. But I kind of went in a different direction, too, that the seeking is what caught my, my kind of thoughts. And that when you're seeking for something outside of yourself, asking someone else what the answer is. You're moving away from what Buddha is. And instead, you're, you're going into this fantasy, this, um, this uh, it's something false. And I, the last thing I thought about was it's better to sit not knowing rather than blindly accept someone else's words. Right, Stephanie, it seems as though you're right. We look for something external to mm-hmm. define, you know, what it is we're looking for. Right. When it's really just beingness itself or Buddha nature itself. Right. That is all there is, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's. I kind of, I, I kind of am res- resonating with what you said. What about the misled? How do you misinterpret this? How do some people misinterpret it? Uh, I'll take a stab at it. Okay. I think, I think some people uh, misinterpret it because the fact that they they think they receive something. Um, I guess like on a supernatural, from a supernatural point of view, when, you know, in essence is just being one with yourself in the universe. And well, that's what I get from it since I've been studying, you know, cause at first I thought the same thing. And then <clears throat> the more I read and the more it was like, well, it's just basically nothing, you know, it was kind of confusing. And I, I think, well, you know, it's, it's not really an understanding to it from what I, from what I also read, but I get, I, I guess I could say I get a, uh, got a better grasp of it, if that makes sense. You know, my, my, I had a photo teacher who hated the word. If I said something about photography being art, he would jump all over me. And it was the same kind of thing of, of making this Buddha sacred, or or the Cody used a different word. Uh, what did you use? Like supernatural. Supernatural, rather than ordinary. But I think it was that same thing that he just wanted to, photography to be photography. Right. And he he, he hated art, you know. And what's funny is his name was Art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i get it it's like you know we have a tendency to want to pin down things or define them 
and, elevate them too, right? And elevate them, right? Yeah. You know, and, and you know, just like Suzuki Roshi was saying, this pain that you see me going through—that's Buddha too. And <laughs> Jews aren't supposed to say the word God. I think it's a, or even write it out. They're supposed to do, you know, G underscore D, kind of the same thing. Of of then you make it into an icon. Oh, okay. It, it does. It can't. Once you define it, you kill it. Yeah. Name it. Naming it. What is it the Tao says? That which can be named is not the Tao. <laughs> or something like that. That's the first line mm -hmm. of the Tao. So, Trouty, you got to tell us the truth now? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Trouty. The truth is nothing tangible graspable and mostly not understandable yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> yeah so this brain that i thought the mind was can never can never get it it it, it actually cannot it can't make that last leap and so gail i'm curious um because this, this course I'm doing Wednesday, we're supposed to start with the body. Do you think of the body the same way as, as not really something in the same way you're saying the mind is not something? I don't know that the, just like a tree, I don't know that the body is, is what we think it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, it, maybe that's an of everything it's comprised of air and and i mean there's no end to it it's all to me it's all the one um beingness just in the form of what we call i really like that so i've been know? thinking of the body as this physical apparatus but then also it has all this function mm -hmm. and then you're going even a step beyond that uh okay it can't it can't really we call it this just for convention's sake and to be able to communicate but what is it really i mean my god you know even science will tell you um there's all this space in there there's this movement in there there's you know it's and also foreign matter lots of foreign matter yeah. <laughs> donna you've been quiet um i guess sort of my what I was seeing was how Buddha was a concept that was being pasted on mind and um, the unlike you know here we've got that clear blue sky and broad daylight which is a lovely um, a lovely metaphor for consciousness um, and so the um, I, I was was thinking some, I guess, while we were meditating, it's like, um, just based on meditation, I can hear birds, I can hear all this other, but, you know, where's Buddha? You know, <laughs> he's been imported. Um, so, um, you, you, you know, is... Uh, I guess there's that other koan or saying about if you meet Buddha on the road, kill him. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, trying to 
um, see what's there. And I love your image of the body, Gail, because that's just taking in the whole everything, you know, the body, um, you know, you, you've kind of erased the, 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 you know, concept of body and kind of expanded it out um, into something that it's very difficult for us to imagine, comprehend, just like mind. So um, good job. Thank you. I, you know, when you talked about what we're hearing, like birds and whatnot, it reminded me of a teacher I love uh, so much, Ajashanti. And he had two big openings. You could call them awakening experiences. But the second one, the one that really uh, expanded everything for him, was he was in meditation. He heard a bird in the background early in the morning. And a thought just all of a sudden arose in his mind. And it said, who hears that bird? And then he, then he you know, like, like these koans say, you know, like mm -hmm. the bottom dropped out. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, should we invite Guo Gu to comment? Yes. Okay, when Mazu said that this mind is Buddha, he did not mean the Buddha on the altar or the Buddha the practitioners tried to become. He also was not referring to your mind of vexations. What did he mean then? Is mind Buddha? If Dame had not realized awakening upon hearing these words, these same words would be words of discrimination. I think the word, to me, the word this is really important in the koan. Rather than the mind is Buddha or your mind is Buddha that, that he's talking about, for him, I'm taking it that this mind, he's not making this great generalization, maybe. Yeah, he's, uh, it sounds like he's talking from his own experience in an odd way, you know? Yeah. Okay. Buddha means awake, but there are 10 epithets for any Buddha. They describe different qualities of a fully awakened person. Tathagata, as if come. Bhagavat, world honored one. Arhat, worthy of respect. Samyak Sambuddha, fully and correctly enlightened. Uh oh. <laughs> Vijakara Nasampana, perfect in knowledge and moral conduct. Sugata, well gone. Lokavid, one who knows the world. Anuttara, the unsurpassed. Purusha Damya Sarathi, the charioteer of men who need be tamed. And Sasta de Vamanyasanam, the teacher of gods and men. From the Chan perspective, these are not lofty ideals that have nothing to do with you, but describe your potential as human beings to wake up to all the qualities within you. These qualities are guidelines for practice. Can I have a comment? Oh. Yes. No, go ahead. No, I was going to read. Go on. 
Well, um, right on the third line, um, Tathagata. I, I know that nowadays uh, there is an attempt to read it two ways because there are actually two words and the two words are joined with short A in the middle and it becomes a long A. It's most in, in the literature, in the Buddhist literature, it is understood as the one who has gone in this way, tatha, in this way, and gata, who has gone, not who has come, and not as if, there is no as if at all. Sorry to be so, <laughs> but it rubs me really the wrong way. <laughs> well, um, to me, gone would mean not no longer here. No, he has, he has gone. He has done the path. Oh. He has accomplished it. He is. He's not as if. As if. So is that the same as when we end our chant, um, gate, gate, parasamgate? Gone, well, gone, gone to the other no. side. Well, in a way. Uh, That's well, kind of going, going, gone. No. No. So when, when, when he is gone, the gate is in, in locative. So, yeah, I, I don't want to explain all the grammar behind it. Okay. But, so, gate gate parasam gate is he's gone, gone, uh, gone entirely, and then enlightenment is to be celebrated. Something like that. You're right. So, I have a shirt. Oh, go on. Go ahead, Cody. So, no, it was Kim, but go oh, it's Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Oh, so, so instead of as if come for uh, Tathagata, how how would you translate it again, Trouty? So there is definitely no as if. It it possibly may be interpreted having come in this way, but it, I mean. Most of the time, th this is a recent uh, event, I think. I have seen it only in the recent years that it will be interpreted instead of gone, that it will be interpreted as come. Oh, okay. But it means he has, he has gone the path. Okay. He has accomplished. All right. Thank you. And it's a very, it is a very polite and indirect way of expressing it. So when we say accomplish, we will say accomplish what, right? We will ask for an object. Right, because these are all um, definitions or qualities, as I said, of the, uh, of a person, uh, of an awakened or enlightened person, fully awakened. Yes, yes, yes. Well, isn't a Buddha really beyond, even beyond that? A very special enlightened person. Yeah. These these are qualities of a Buddha, but I take it, but not necessarily. 
beyond even an enlightened person? Uh, well, he says they describe the qualities of a fully awakened person. And oh, you're so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so there's some samyak sambuddha, right? Yeah. The fully and correctly. Well, correctly, so, I'm not sure. Completely. So I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it helps, but I mean, just looking it up on Wikipedia, it says it means either one who has thus gone or one who has thus come. Yeah. Yeah, I know. In recent years, that that has, yeah, that has taken hold. And uh, I don't think there should be two interpretations, actually, for something like this. Right. Yeah, it's very confusing. So, and it's definitely no as if. I mean, there is no conditional or anything of the sort. Mm -hmm. It's interesting though, because Kim pointed out, he says, well, this is something you can't really describe. And yet we have to say something as, <laughs> as one Zen master said, you know. So we're, well, we're yeah. Well, you know, already since about the first century, common era, um, the, the Buddhists started to distinguish. So uh, there is two levels and then there is three levels. So the two levels was the mundane level in which you have to have the conversations and descriptions and the debates because you have to learn some basics like, you know, that there is, there is Dukkha because you may not know about it. I mean, you may feel it, but you may not know that, that this is a big thing, experiential thing, right? For everybody, for everything in the universe, unless uh, those beings are enlightened. So anyway, I, I'm talking too much. Thank you, no, you are. Yeah, I, I appreciate the input, Trouty, thank you. Well, thank you. That said. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say before we go on? Yes. Yeah. I, really, I really liked in that paragraph where he says, from the Chan perspective, these are not lofty ideals that have nothing to do with you, but describe your potential as human mm -hmm. beings to wake yeah. up to yes. all the qualities within you. I really liked that. Yes, I agree. Thank you. I will mark it now. <laughs> there. That said, these qualities and guidelines are also not what Mazu meant by this mind is Buddha. <laughs> this case is simple. Uh, Dame, how do you say that? Yes, yes. Is that all right? Yes. Da, Dona. What? <laughs> I was calling on Dona. Oh. What do you think? <laughs> Asmazu, what is Buddha? And upon hearing, mind is Buddha, he was awakened. What is interesting is that Mazu wanted to make sure Dame really came to know this and not just accept it on its superficial meaning. So after Dame left Manzu's congregation and became a teacher in his own right, 
Mazu sent one of his monks to test Dame's understanding. On arriving, the monk said, so you're Mazu's student. What did you learn when you met Mazu that led you to teach here? Dame answered, I asked Mazu, what is Buddha? Mazu replied, this mind is Buddha. Thereafter, I left and came here. Then the monk tested Dame with a question that Mazu had prepared. He said, well, nowadays Mazu has a new saying. Dame replied, oh, what is that? Not mind, not Buddha, said the monk. Dame said, I don't care what the old fellow says. For me, mind is Buddha. Dame did not fall into Mazu's trap. He was awakened upon hearing mind is Buddha, and he had been using this to teach others. Guys, is Cody not reading? Yeah, Cody. Oh, we I'm Cody. sorry, Cody. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're fine. I've been, you're fine. Oh. been first for a very long time. <laughs> you have, Donna. You I just have. So, I'm just so used to going right after Stephanie. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I started. The monk report, reported this to Mazu, who said, the plum is right. The word Dame means great plum. And it is the name of the mountain he stayed at. In this way, Mazu sanctioned Dame, affirming his realization for this reason, Wuman commented. Even though this is the way it is, Dame has misled a lot of people based on a wrong me measurement of standard. In saying this, Wuman was actually praising Dame. However, it would be a mistake to take mind as Buddha as some kind of ultimate truth, as a standard against which to validate your own original face. Awakening is neither knowledge nor experience. Once you have tested it, you find that it is actually the most normal down to earth way that things are. It is nothing special. Actually, you bask in it all the time. It is just your deluded thinking that blocks you. It is like tasting water that cannot be described to someone who has never drunk water. Yet this is not to say that others have not tasted it. People, in fact, drink it all the time but most don't realize they do. How to tell them that they are actually drinking water? No words, knowledge, or esoteric teaching can express this. Okay, Donna. I guess Trouty. 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 Okay. Mazu sent a student to test Dame. He, sorry, as he wanted to know how well Dame had been drinking that water. He tried to trick him by casting doubt on his understanding, but Dame would have none of Mazu's baloney. One should know that just by saying the word Buddha, the word Buddha, you should wash your mouth for three days. Is it significant that Buddha is not capitalized here? That they meaning yes, Buddha? In a, yes, yes, yes. Uh, is it really true that mind is Buddha? Is that where we are? That right? Yes. Mm -hmm. You you will have to find out for yourself. 
if you just take Mazu's word for it, that's just regurgitating someone else's words, like throwing up someone else's vomit. Oh. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? <laughs> Taking Buddha as filth may seem irreverent, but it is a good method for one who thinks that's the answer. Oh, wait a minute. Did we skip Gail? I think so. Where is Gail? Did we lose her? I guess we did. Okay. Taking Buddha as filth may seem irreverent, but it is a good method for one who thinks that's the answer. As a practitioner, if you hear someone say that mind is Buddha, you should cover your ears and walk away. Why? Because these are not your words. They are Mazu's words. Don't swallow Mazu's vomit. Wu Min says, stop seeking after it under the clear blue sky in broad daylight. Asking how it is that mind is Buddha, is like holding on to stolen goods and claiming your innocence. Okay, Gail. Is she back? Yeah, she's back. Yeah, I'm sorry. I um, don't know well, how this works, and I, I ran out of gas. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but it's your turn to read. Well, I don't know where am I? Where are we? Who is, Who is it? That? After the quote. Women's quote. Women's quote on page uh, 265. What does the paragraph uh, start with? Who what is, is it that, that is reading? Yeah. Who is it that is reading these words? Okay. All right. Who is it that is reading these words? Don't answer, just ask. If you say mind is Buddha, or neither mind, neither Buddha, and draw some kind of conclusion about it, thinking that now you know, then that's just copying someone else. Picasso once said that great artists steal. What he was pointing to is that essentially, every piece of art is a remix of something else. Everything is dependent on other things. This means, according to dependent origination, the core teaching of emptiness in Buddhism, that nothing is original. Everything is just recontextualized, reconnected, remixed. That's what makes art so interesting, isn't it? The genius lies in remixing it. So it's not that copying itself is bad. It's simply poor taste if you don't have the ingenuity to remix it and make it your own. Mm. I think Cody's next. Digesting Buddha Dharma, Buddha Dharma to make it your own is what practice is about. You have to make it your own. Otherwise, whatever you say will be meaningless. Recently, after a retreat in San Francisco, several people came up to me, bowed, and expressed their gratitude. They said, thank you so much for your teaching. People in Tallahassee are so privileged to have you. I smiled and said, you received the benefit of Buddha Dharma because of your own merit. 
That's why you have the mind of gratitude. People listen to the Dharma and get and get benefit. It is their fortune. The teacher is just a condition in the mix. How can anyone claim to have Buddha Dharma to give? Buddha Dharma is Buddha Dharma. It stems from the three jewels. Teacher's role is to be a clean pipe to transport fresh water from one place to another. The water doesn't belong to anyone. Technically, neither does the pipe. If the pipe is dirty, then it needs to be cleaned. That's all it needs. That's all. That's all that needs to be done. Water flows of its own accord. Giving teaching to students is like this. Without students, the teacher would have nothing to say. If the teacher has attachments, biases, particular things to say, then the fresh water of Buddha Dharma will be polluted and the pipe soiled. If you receive the benefit of Buddha Dharma, be grateful to the three jewels, the wellspring of Buddha Dharma. Mind is Buddha, is the teaching. Neither mind nor Buddha is also a teaching. While some practitioners harbor these like eating vomit, there are others who don't have the courage to accept them. They literally run away from this teaching. This would be like a thief who holds the gem that he has stolen in his hands and claims that he has not stolen anything. This case is saying you are it. So the next time you have vexations, when someone presents you with a challenge or scolds you or wrongly blames you in that moment, how will you react? Where is your Buddha mind, your Buddha nature? Look, look, that's practice. Practice, practice is not limited to sitting in the Chan Hall. It happens in broad daylight. Don't be an art thief who claims innocence. Take up the responsibility and accept who you are. Don't go around with your belongings in hand crying. Where are my belongings? Where are my belongings? <laughs> wait, wait, what does that mean? Because <laughs> it kind of like saying, you know, that um, you don't have Buddha Dharma, you don't know Buddha, you aren't Buddha. Where is Buddha? Where is Buddha? He's right here. Yeah, you don't, you don't have Buddha, you are. Right. That's what he's saying. You are it. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. I am that. <laughs> I am that. Anything else anyone want to say? I have a question for Trouty that all of you are welcome to, to hear, but it's not about this. I liked I like that this section is really pointing us to our own autonomy because um, I have a, a, I've listened to a teacher who says that over and over. In other words, you can't give this particular, um, you can't give up this, uh, what is it, this thing that draws us to this practice, this, this, you could call it longing or yearning or 
you know, movement, you know, you can't give it to any teacher. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's yours and it's going to be different for each person, really. Their path is going to look a little bit different. So we're going to be remixing it. We can't, I can't wake up the way my favorite teacher, Ajashani, wakes up. I can't go sit on the cushion, hear a bird, and then think, think to myself, who heard that bird? Who heard that bird? And then wake up. You know? <laughs> it's going to come to me in whatever, you know, way is just perfect, really, for my own awakening, I guess you could say. Yeah, I don't know how else to put that, you know. But uh, a um, psychologist, I'm not sure if it was Rosemarie, who was talking to me about how you can't lose the self until you develop the self. And the people who mostly come to her, whoever the psychologist was, don't have a self to give up. And that's their first job. So you have autonomy, but then you go beyond that. Well, the autonomy I'm talking about is this, um, you have to take responsibility for your own path is basically what I'm saying. But you're right, part of that, what is that Dogen quote? Well, the Dogen quote is, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. Right, so that's kind of what you were. she was saying. You know, you yeah, and I, I was passing by that first one, to study the Buddha way is to study the self thinking you could go to step two to study the self is to forget the self. You can't forget it until you remember it, kind of. Well, until you see it clearly, you can see what you've been concocting as a self, you know what I mean? And, and many people have not yet concocted a self to forget. And that's what she was saying that I've never heard anyone say before. I think they've concocted it. They ha just haven't been aware that right. they concocted it. Well, you know? They've assembled it from what they think, how they think people are seeing them, you know, but it's not really theirs. It's like, it's like it, this therapist said to me, maybe you've heard me say this, um, you're your own best expert. And I said, you don't know my mother. Because <laughs> my mother thought she was everyone, she was the expert on everyone. She knew what they were really thinking. Everything else was their delusion. So my question for Trouty is, Kashapa was a Buddha way before the Buddha that we know, and then was supposedly reborn into this thing, but Buddhas aren't supposed to be reborn. And is there any way of making sense of this? Donna, you have is that a koan? No, 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 no. This is this is so, from 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 right here, right here. Transmission of light. It talks about how he was a Buddha. Kashapa was not only the senior member of Shakyamuni Buddha's community; he was an intrepid leader of the communities of all Buddhas of the past. You should know that he was an ancient Buddha. Do not just class him with the other disciples of Buddha. So I, have, I have no answer. Donna, you have any idea about this? I'm, um, I'm, 
I just thought they had the same name. I didn't realize that there was a connection like that between them. Well, I thought that too until, you know, but do I trust this book? <laughs> That's well, what I assumed. Right, well. And when you look it up like in Wikipedia, you, you, you know, it kind of infers that, well, there was this Kashifa and this Kashifa, but, but then this takes it a step farther, so. And I wonder, I wonder if those are based on Sanskrit texts or are they are those um, records Chinese? I mean, maybe the Chinese made the jump to connect them. Mm -hmm. And are we talking about maybe a different kind of reborn? Like there's the reborn that ordinary people have until they. Uh, reach enlightenment, but maybe, maybe there's a two. You have any ideas, Trouty? You are trying to be too generous. <laughs> you mean too generous with this book? Yes, maybe at that book and also at those ideas. Well, you, okay, Buddhism developed and existed for thousands of years over 2000 at least, right? And in many different places. And in each place, new place, it was grafted on something else, right? And in, in some respect, um, if you look at some of the religions, you may see that deification will happen to some very uh, accomplished religious leaders. And this may be that kind of a thing, but I have, I have no explanation uh, to give you. What about the idea of two people having the same name? Does that- That is possible, yes. No, no, I know, but does that connect them in some special way? Um, it may depend on a tradition. It might be a very different teaching. Because in the long run, there were so many teachers, they were contemporaneous and then they died off and then there were new generations and each of them, they reinvented a little bit. They changed a little bit. I used to call them nonconformist thinkers <laughs> that they will continue in, in their teacher's uh, heritage, but they will add or they will subtract or they will formulate in a different way. And we may get actually uh, pieces of information from different time periods, from different teachers. But what I'm talking about is speculation. I've got one idea. Um that perhaps this relates to the Lotus Sutra, where the Lotus Sutra um, gives the impression, and I'm still pretty early in my Lotus Sutra studies, but um, that the Buddha doesn't leave, you know, the, uh, he doesn't go away. The Buddha is always present. Um, and so, I suppose that um, 
the, the perhaps the, certainly the Lotus Sutra became very important in China. Um, a lot of the ideas that we have in Zen kind of came came through uh, Chinese interpretations of the Lotus Sutra, and I kind of see how I suppose they might see how all the the previous Buddhas that show up in, I think it's the Apadanas, maybe, um, are, you know, the Buddha is just kind of coming back and coming back and coming back. It's not a reborn, so it's a different, it's a thing of never leaving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And oh, how is it? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Trouty. No, no, please finish. Oh, you know, I'm I'm just talking. I'm skating on very thin ice here. I would love to hear what you have to say. I am skating on very thin ice as well. But I I have a comment that if the Buddha never leaves, then we are in trouble in uh, one aspect, and that is that nothing exists forever. It always changes, right? Mm. That is definitely a problem. <laughs> so you're, you're directing our attention to the Chinese interpretation or um, adoption um, that probably is, uh, can be considered as very valid. And if, if you think about the Tao that, that Gail was talking yes. about yes. earlier, uh -huh. You know, that, that it's ever-changing, it's impermanent in that sense, but, um, you know, it, it may be that there are some philosophical adjustments were made, you know, through, through Chinese Buddhist history that would allow the Buddha to <laughs> stick around. Well, the question is, the question to me is, and this actually is part of Course of Miracles, is... Um, which where they say nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. So what is it that can never be threatened? What is it that always is? And that's the question. That's the question. And, you know, I don't know how to answer that except um, You could only answer it from your own experience and looking. What is it from the moment I have developed any conscious idea of my existence, what has always been throughout my entire life from the time I, I can first remember? You know, not, nothing that I heard or saw or did but there was something constant and that didn't change and hasn't changed my entire life. And I don't know what to call it. I remember telling Flint, I said, I think it's experiencing itself. Well, I've heard it called Buddha nature. Yeah. Well, that's what we're talking about here. But, you know, how do you define what it is that doesn't change in the midst of all change? In other words, Everything's moving, everything's changing, but what is it that knows that, you know, or that is present in that, you know? And, and that's Chinese. That is a Chinese development in Buddhism. I mean, is it? Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I still would like to comment on this. How Good. do we, how do we really know that it is the same thing? We may experience it in a given moment or every given moment that it is maybe the same thing. But how do we really know that it is a continuous same thing? You don't know though, right? I mean- No, you don't. You wouldn't. No, that, that is a presumption. I, that, that's my <laughs> take on it. Yeah, I mean, what is it that exists? I mean, I, I can't say I don't exist, but what is it no. that exists? You know what I mean? You can't say there's no existence because no, what is no. it that's saying there's no existence? It's existing right now, you know? So it, it, it just, just I, I think what's ineffable is what doesn't change in this present always for all the change that happens. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but that's the question. It kind of goes back to Ramana, you know, what am, you know, what I, what am I, you know? And then you discover there's no I. <laughs> well, should we call it quits? I think we're thoroughly confused now. <laughs> good way to practice. Yes. It is a good way to practice. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Yes, thank, thank you all. You. Thank you. See you next thank week. Thank you. Thank you.